I think we, we, begin, we tend to look at those stories and say, well, what's the point? You know, I mean, they're stories and they're from thousands of years ago. So, you know, I don't, whatever. Besides, we've got the New Testament. We've got Jesus. Why, why do we need that? What, what's the point? Well, you know, I understand how that can happen, but there's a great scripture, and we're going to refer to it a couple times today, from Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul says very clearly, he says, the such things were written, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to do what? Say that with me. What is it? Teach us. And then look on. And the scriptures give us what? Hope. And, and what? What's the next word? Encouragement. As we wait, as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. You notice those words, those are significant words. These stories are there to teach us. They are to give us hope. They're to encourage us. And what is so significant that you just cannot miss, while we may look at it and say, well, I'm just going to spend my time in the New Testament. I'm just not so sure about this Old Testament thing. What was Paul's scriptures he was referring to? He didn't have the gospel stories as we did. The scriptures he was referring to were the old, was the Old Testament. That was his context. And he says, these are written so that we, they can teach us, they can give us hope and encouragement. And I'm really excited about what we can learn together. These stories will teach us, they'll help us. And there's some really... There's some great stories, there's some great personalities, some that you're going to be familiar with, some that you're going to have. I don't know that person, I don't know much about him, but I believe that there's, God's going to help us over these next few weeks as we study them together. And really to kind of give you a, a picture, a real quick glimpse of the book of Judges. Here's a, this isn't in your notes, but it's just give you an idea of where the broken people and faithful God fit into this. Because here's the reality, and this gives you an overview. Breaking faith... Breaking faith results in broken lives. When I break, when I, my faith is broken, when I break away from faith, either way, my faith can be broken for a lot of reasons, and I can also break away from my faith. I can kind of walk away. Breaking faith results in broken lives, but a faithful God restores faith, and he gives hope. And that's the story that we'll find in the book of Judges. So let's talk about it a little bit today. We're going to kind of give you some context and give you an overview. I hope it'll be really helpful. First, when was Judges written? Well, Judges 1-1 kind of gives us, sets it in motion. It says, after the death of Joshua. So Joshua was Moses' successor in leading Israel. He moved into Canaan. He was, the, he was kind of the commander-in-chief as they began to occupy Canaan according to the plan of God. When he died, Judges begins. So that's the that's the when. And that was about 1050 to 1010 BC. It's a little bit of a, it's not an exact date, but gives you a bit of a period of time. Second, who wrote the book of Judges? We don't know. It's an unknown writer. A, a person, obviously, that had some upfront knowledge he had, or, or she had some, some ability to connect with people who knew the story of the book of Judges. But what it does is it Judges provides a bridge a bridge between Joshua and his leadership of Israel and the monarchy when King Saul and David and, uh, and Solomon and then the following kings of Israel. That's about a three to four hundred year period of time between Joshua and the monarchy. That's the period 
of the judges. Well, who are, who are the judges? Well, one of the things that you need to understand about the judges, when you say judge in our society, you know, it's not these guys, okay? It's not hot bench. You know, it's not the robes. It's not this, it's not America's Got Talent judges, all right? It's not what it is. But we have a particular idea of what a judge is. The judges in the Old Testament were civil and military leaders. God raised them up at specific times for specific purposes. That's the judges. And the 12 judges, or 12 of them, uh, Othniel, Ehud, Ehud, excuse me, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibsan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. So there they are. Those are the 12 judges in the book of Judges. There's other individuals, other characters in the book. But we're going to spend our time looking at these individuals. Some of these individuals you don't know much about. They're very, very minor. In, their, in fact, there's some of the, this one or two verses, and that's all there is. Others, literally, four or five chapters are given to their particular story. So what is the book of Judges all about? Well, that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning talking about. What is the book of Judges all about? Let me give you three things real fast. It's not in your notes, but this will give you an overview. The book of Judges is about sin, sin, Suffering and salvation. There it is. That is the book of Judges as quickly as I can give it to you. In order for us to really understand it, we got to take a little bit of a trip back. we got to go back to the time of Moses into the book of Deuteronomy. So let me just say, there are a lot of scripture this morning, and because there was so much, I couldn't, I couldn't include it in your notes. It's all on the screen for you, so follow along and make sure... Don't ha- please bring your Bibles on Sundays so that you can follow along, you can make notes in the margins, however it works for you. But we're going to look back at Deuteronomy very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 28. The book of De- Deuteronomy was Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel. And so here in, verse, in chapter 28, verse number 1, verse 7, verse 15, and verse 25, this is what we read. Moses says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today... The Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will, come at, you will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. You see, if Israel, Moses is saying, if Israel, if you're obedient, you can expect the blessing of God. And if you're disobedient, you can expect the curse of God. Now, that's some strong language. I don't know about you, but I kind of preferred the, I, I kind of prefer the blessing side of things. Anybody with me on that? I don't like that that, that curse thing. I, I'm not so sure. I'm I'm down with it. I'll take the blessing, but the blessing requires obedience, and it's going to be extraordinary blessing. It, it's if you look at it, the enemies will, will will move away in seven directions, but if the opposite happens, you're going to flee in seven directions. You'll become literally something that no one wants to have anything to do with. You know, and what happens to Israel 
as you begin to read the book of Judges, they started out okay. Joshua dies, and then as Joshua dies, the entire nation of Canaan hadn't been occupied yet, so they still had work to do. So Israel does what they were taught to do. They inquired of the Lord, which was good, and God gave them direction as to what they should do to continue the possession of the land. Something happens. But slowly, and I use these words very intentionally, slowly and subtly, they began to compromise. And there was an erosion of, an, of obedience to God. And I use that very intentionally. Sometimes in our own lives, it's not that we just immediately disobey. It's not that we immediately go from light to darkness. There's a period of time in between where there's a slow burn, as it were. There's a slow erosion. There are things that subtly enter into our lives that we just begin to accept as normal. But then we find ourselves in a position of being literally in a place where we're opposing God by the way our lives are being lived. You see, what happens is we see tribe after tribe, or the 12 tribes of Israel, tribe after tribe, not following through on what God had said they should do to the Canaanite peoples. They began to allow them to live among them. They could not subdue them. They would not subdue them. And that was compromise. You say, but, you know, Gary, that sounds so harsh. You know, I thought God, I thought God was like a God of love. He is. God's also a God of justice. God's also a God of righteousness. And, and because of that, God had pronounced judgment on the nations of Canaan. And his hand of judgment was his people. Come and take possession of this land. They hadn't done it according to what God had said. So we read in Judges chapter 2, verse 1, the angel of the Lord. And let me just pause for a second. When you read the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, most of the time that phrase, the angel of the Lord, is referring to to an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And so you'll see the reaction of the people often to the angel of the Lord of them falling in his presence or being fearful that they will die because they've seen the face of God. So it's a very, very significant phrase. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to your ancestors. I said, I will never break covenant with you And you shall not make a covenant with the people of the land. Yet, you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I also said, I will not drive them out before you. And they will become traps for you. And their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. and They offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now, this is a moment that's significant. God confronted them with truth. He says, why have you disobeyed me? Why, Why have you not done what I have said that you should do? The people wept. They were broken because of their of their disobedience, and they they had a moment of renewal, a moment of recommitment to God. And I cannot tell you. How many times over my life I've had those moments 
of renewal or recommitment. And I'm, I treasure those moments, as you should as well. The Holy Spirit convicts of things that you know you should not do. Places that we should not be. Let me go on. Attitudes that we should not embrace. Anger that we should not display. And when God convicts us, we should immediately return as the people did. And you have to give them credit, but understand conviction drives us to God. Repentance brings change. However, consistent obedience is essential to sustain the promised blessing of God. That is so important to understand. It it is not just a conditional obedience. It's not just a once in a while obedience. It's not just once in a while a convenient obedience. But it's a consistent obedience. It's a lifestyle rather than just a one-time or momentary act. Israel had a great spiritual moment. But, and they turned things around, but then something happened. So we read Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew nothing. Look at this. Who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Let me just stop for a moment. Do you notice the tragedy in that verse? There is an indictment upon a generation for not passing on the good things of God. I'm going to say it again. God makes an indictment upon an entire generation for not passing on the good things of God. Parents and grandparents in this room, you have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to pass on to the next generation the good things of God. And we dare not abdicate our responsibility. I do not want to be included in that group, but rather I want to be one who is said of the Lord, He passed on to the next generation that which God has done and who God is. Take it seriously. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the people's anger because of they forsook. They forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them who whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Let me just stop. When we break faith, when we break faith with God, our lives are broken. Distress. They broke faith with God, and the ultimate outcome was what? They were in distress. How much distress in our lives could just disappear if we would hold tight to the faith that we know to be true? They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those raiders. Yet... 
They would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's command. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who pressed and afflicted them. You notice that, that as long as the judge lived, there was, there was favor. What happened? Their broken lives, the judge came, and what happened? God showed himself faithful and healed them once again. And that is a pattern repeated again and again through the book of Judges, but all through the history of Israel. But look, but when the judge died, the people returned to their ways, look at this, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving them and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and, as word, stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as our ancestors did. You see, this is exactly what God promised. And don't don't miss this. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to all of the good promises that he has made, but he's also faithful to the ones that we may not like to read about. But he's faithful. He will remain true to what he has said. You see, this is exactly what God said would happen, and now they're living it. They're experiencing it firsthand. But what we see through the book of Judges, either in part or in full, the following sequence Israel sins, Israel angers God. Israel is subjected to an oppressor. Israel cries to the Lord, a deliverer is raised up. A deliverer is described, the deliverer is empowered, the deliverer judges Israel, the deliverer rescues Israel, the deliverer gives rest to Israel, the deliverer dies. Repeat, 12 times. 12 times. And you say, that's just, that's just crazy. That's just crazy, how could that happen? Is it really so crazy? When I was uh, younger, high school age specifically, going to youth, I'd go to youth camp every year. Such a great experience. You know, get away to, to where we went to. I went to youth camp in southern Washington. It was right along a little, little place called Washougal, Washington. Beautiful place. Got a great camp. It was a ton of fun. And God would just do great things in our lives. And we would hang out with all of our buddies we hadn't seen in a year or whatever. It was wonderful. And by about Tuesday night, you know, I am just really sensing God's doing some things in my life. And I'm getting things turned around. And by Friday, I am fired up and I go home and that lasted about two weeks. And then for 50 weeks, I just did the same old stuff. Go to camp the next year and we do it all again. Sound familiar? You see, we're very quick to look at Israel and say, I just can't believe they would do that. But often what we need to do is just look in the mirror. And just say, that's been my life. It's Pete and repeat. God does things in our lives and we respond, but then we fall right back into the same cycle of behavior. And I wonder, is that where you are today? It's just this, this cycle of faith and then break faith and faith and break faith and faith and break faith. 
Are you in a peed and repeat cycle about behaviors that you know are absolutely contrary to the behavior that which God would be pleased in your life? Does it just keep coming up again and again and again? But you truly crave the blessing of God. I am absolutely convinced Israel wanted the blessing of the Lord in their lives, but they just stayed in a cycle and wouldn't allow God to truly break it and then to live a life that would honor Him in all things and truly be consistently obedient. And so for us this morning, if that's where you find yourself, man, are you in the right place? Why? Because Jesus is here. And I would just say it's, it's time to have a come to Jesus moment and just say no more. I am not going to go back to the way that I lived life. And here is a very graphic verse, but it, is just, it just tells us the truth. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, as a dog returns to its what? Yeah, that's ugly, isn't it? So a fool repeats his foolishness. Why would we do it? Why would we do it? Galatians chapter 6, if you think you can fool God, you're only fooling yourselves. You will harvest what you plant. If you live to satisfy your sinful self, the harvest you will get from it will be eternal death. But if you live to please the Spirit, your harvest will the harvest from the Spirit will be eternal life. Let it be so this morning. Let Jesus break the cycle of continued disobedience and begin to follow after Him and reap the benefits of eternal life right now. That isn't something in the future. It happens right now. You remember the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? Don't let that be what characterizes your life of faith. But rather, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, so we, sh- so we should be finished. We should be finished with the beginning lessons about Christ. We should not have to keep going back to where we started. We begin our new life by turning away from evil. We did in the past and by believing God. That's when we were taught about baptisms, laying, on, laying, on, laying hands on people. The resurrection of those who have died, the final judgment. Now We need to go forward. It is time for us to grow up in our faith. It is time for us to put away those things of childhood and begin to move on to maturity. And how do you do it? Two things. Number one, repent. Repent of the sin. If there is sin in your life this morning... Come to Jesus today and ask him to forgive you. If you are a follower of Jesus and sin continues to hang on in your life, let today be the day you have the come to Jesus moment and it is done. It is over. You are turning from sin and you are turning to God. Let it be today. Second thing, grow in your faith. Grow in your faith. You know, I, am, I just got to tell you, I am so glad you're here this morning. I am so excited to see every Sunday. I'm excited to see you when you're here. Have the opportunity to give you a high five, a handshake, a hug, however we greet each other. I'm so excited you're here. This is the right place to be on a Sunday morning. But I want to tell you something. It's not enough to grow your faith. It's not enough. You need to be in a small group. You need to develop the disciplines of a spirit-led life. You need to develop the disciplines of being a person who can get into God's word. You need to develop the disciplines of being a person of prayer. It's not enough. This is good. And I applaud you for being here. 
But it is time that we grow our faith and we begin to walk as mature followers of Jesus Christ. We walk in mature, as a mature follower of Jesus, something happens. You begin to break the cycles of the peat and the repeat. And you begin to see what God is purposing for your life. Let it be so in your life as well. You see the inconsistency of Israel, the failure, the idolatry, the disobedience. It's just all tragic. There's, there's no other way to say it. We can be quick to judge their actions. There's no question. I'm sure I have. But the reality is, and I think we all can figure it out, we're inclined to do the same. We, we kind of follow in this pattern. But there's one more verse in Judges I want to leave with you that it really is the theme verse of the book of Judges. And it's Judges chapter 21 and verse number 25. Look at it. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's a powerful verse. And it really gives a snapshot of the entire book. The two thoughts here, these are are very dangerous things when you unpack them. The first is this, is that they had rejected their true king. They'd rejected their true king. There was no king in Israel. I mean, that's no human king at least. God was to be their king. It was a theocracy. God was the one who had oversight over the nation of Israel. Listen to what we read in 1 Samuel. And here's, you need to understand something about Samuel. Let me give you two little pieces of just information. The book of Ruth that follows Judges, When you read the book of Ruth, it comes into the timeline of the judges. So that happened during a peaceful time when the judges ruled. Samuel is really the last of the judges prior to the kingdom being established. So Samuel is having a conversation with God because the people has said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And so, in response, this is Samuel and God. This is what God says. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied. For they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them out of Egypt, look at this. They have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now... They're giving you the same treatment. There's a, there's a phrase here that I, I feel we have to just grasp. When God says to Samuel, he says, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king anymore. You say, well, Pastor Gary, how does, why is that significant? Because you and I, as followers of Jesus, when you, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, you did something. You confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let me say it another way. You declared Him to be your King and sovereign over your life. I wonder, have we walked through life Rejecting our king. 
And the brokenness of our lives are a direct result to breaking faith with our king. I wonder if we have become so intentional. I just don't want Jesus to be Lord anymore. Breaking faith. I pray that's not the case. But you see the indictment that God lays at the feet of Israel. They don't want me anymore. God help us that we would ever be in a place where we would say, I don't want him anymore. No, there's a song we used to sing forever ago. I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. Let that be your prayer. The second thing that happens is they rejected their true king, but they also embraced a relative truth. And this is significant. You notice what is said here is that whatever seemed right in their own eyes, There was no king. They just did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You see, relative truth says, your truth can be your truth. My truth is my truth. They're different. There's nothing absolute. There is no black and white. It's just all relative. It's what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. That's just the way we'll live our lives. But there's nothing farther from the truth. You see, truth cannot be adequately explained, recognized, or understood or defined without God at its source. He alone, listen to this, since he alone is eternal and self-existent, and alone is the creator of all else, he is the fountain of truth. Psalm 31 and verse number 15, number 5 says, I give you my life, save me, Lord God of what? Truth. These are very, very powerful reminders. They rejected him as king, and they embraced a relative truth. And so this thought, God is the king of the world. He is the king of the world and of our lives. There is absolute truth, and this is what's important to catch. God sustains it, and he is its source. God is truth. We bring our moments to a close this morning. I want to take us back to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. And read it once again. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So I want to give you four reasons why we study the book of Judges. Because to me, it's most important to understand the why. Why do we do it? Is it just because there's another book in Scripture? No. There's more intentionality behind it. Because, frankly, I need to be taught. I need to get hope. I need to have encouragement. I need to understand that God's promises are going to be fulfilled in my life. So four things. Number one, Judges teaches us practical lessons of faith. I cannot tell you how many practical, small, large, medium, practical lessons of faith there are in the book of Judges. It teaches me that. And it's important that we will learn some of those practical things from Deborah, from Jephthah, from Samson, from Gideon. We're going to learn some things that will help us navigate our lives today. The second reason is that Judges gives us hope and encouragement. 
And this is important, even when they seem out of reach. Now, there's one of the stories, and I won't take any time with it. I'm just going to read you a little portion of the scripture, the story of Gideon. Now, the story of Gideon is a great story. But you have to understand the condition the people were in at the time that Gideon came up as a judge. And we'll just give you a little glimpse of it. Chapter 6, verses five, verse 5, and then a couple verses from, uh, verse from chapter 7. They came up as li- with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. Let me stop. Who's he talking about? The Midianites. This is an adversary of Israel. The Midianites came into Israel. Remember, like swarms of locusts. Now look at this. It, is impo- it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. In other words, we, there's no place. They were hiding. They had nothing. The Midianites had taken everything. And this is, when, when God spoke to Gideon, Gideon got fired up. The Spirit of God came on Gideon, and this is what Gideon said to the people. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped, and then he returned to the camp and he called out, Get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And I want to just say this morning, if you are in a hopeless situation, it is not hopeless. Why? Because God is faithful, and he is able to bring hope out of a hopeless place. Don't ever think that you are overwhelmed with life and circumstance because I will tell you that's exactly where God will do his greatest work. He will show his strength in our weakness. There's hope and encouragement, even when there seems there's none. Third thing is that Judges reveals that God is faithful in spite of our broken decisions and broken lives. Judges 2, we already read this, but just it bears repeating. The Lord, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge, look at this. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge, and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. I want you to know that no matter how many times the cycle is repeated, and it doesn't give permission to repeat the cycle, but it's just simply true. No matter how many times the cycle is repeated, our God's grace is more than enough to meet our need. He remains faithful even when we break faith, even when our lives are broken. God is faithful and he will bring an answer into our Thank you, Jesus. It's because of his grace we're here. No matter how many times you may have been in the cycle of repeat and fail, and his grace is enough. Grateful for that. And also, lastly, Judges reminds us to be patient. God's promises will be fulfilled. Praise God. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. This is so good. Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. And look at this. Not one word failed. 
of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. Hallelujah. Not one promise will fail. The promises of God, Paul says, are what? They have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. God will be faithful to his promises. Hold on to the promises of God. They won't fail. He won't fail. He'll keep those promises to you. If he kept his promises to Israel, he'll keep his promises to you. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, you have been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king, you are holy and pure, and you are God's very own. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why do we study Judges? Because it teaches us. It gives us hope. It encourages us. And it helps us be patient while we wait for the coming of the Lord. 